Well, good morning, MCC. Welcome in. If you're joining us here in person or you're joining us online, let me just say it is an absolute honor to get to bring together both God's people and God's word today. And that is going to be where we start. We're going to go straight there today. If you got a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 10 through 16. So grab a Bible, Ephesians 10 through 16. And I know, I know, I know you just sat down. But I know something else. I know that there's an, just something different that happens when God's people take his word and they stand and they read it together. And I know some of you like, you're like, hey, like I really, that, that whole reading things and standing up at the same time is difficult and you read really fast and I, I don't go that fast. But here's, here's what I want you to maybe focus on and think about today. Don't focus on you getting all the words right. But today, I want you to know that as you're reading these words, people definitely in this room are reading that with you. And I want you to hear that collectively together, but also to know that, that there are dozens and dozens of people online doing the exact same thing, being under the authority of God's word, standing and loudly declaring, these are the truths we stand on. These are the real things in life. And so today, I invite you, if you don't have a Bible in front of you, no worries. We're going to put it up here on the screens. It'll be there on the lower thirds if you're watching online. And let's read God's word together to start off our time today. Got a Bible? Go to Ephesians 6, 10 through 16. Let's stand and read this together. You ready? Okay. Let's do this. One, two, three. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and when your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Let's pray, church. Jesus, there is so much power in your word. It has the power to change human hearts. And so today I pray that, that your word will do the speaking, that your word will do the things that only it can do in the lives of your people. Jesus, as we read this passage, get ready to talk about these flaming arrows that an enemy can shoot our way. Jesus, I know that over the course of this last, last week, even in the ride here potentially, there have been flaming arrows that have been shot at your brothers and sisters, Jesus, in this room. And I pray today you will help us to collectively and individually take up the shield of faith in you that you have given us and to walk forward in victory because of that. In your name, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So to recap a little bit, we've been in a series called At War, and through this series we, we've been talking about the reality of spiritual warfare. How there is more going on in this world than meets the eye. The good in this world and the bad in this world are not just from bad people or good people, but they're actually good forces in this world, and those all originate and come from our Father God, His Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. But we also have an active enemy who operates in a spiritual realm. He will operate in the spiritual realm to bring things out into a physical realm into fruition. And one of the things that we've said over and over again through the course of this series is this. That if we are not fighting against flesh and blood, that means that people are not the problem. Say it with us one more time. People are not the problem. If there ever was a person who was the problem, it's the person you'd see in the mirror. We talked about that last week. If you missed anything in this series, I would encourage you to go back. All the messages are on YouTube. They're on our podcast. They're on Facebook. If you want to see the whole service all the way together, if you've missed any of these, I would say unequivocally, go back. They build on each other. If you've missed some, go back, share them out, however you want to do that. And today, we're going to be diving in to this thing that is called the shield of faith. Before we get there, 
I felt like I had to identify a fear that I currently have and make sure that it does not become fear to something that comes to fruition in our reality as a church. Over the course of these last four or five weeks that we've been in this series, I've gotten a lot of really great feedback, not, not just from you guys, but even from uh, community group leaders, from, from people on our staff, about how this has been impacting them and how they're beginning to understand these things and they're being able to understand how the enemy is working in their lives. And so as your pastor, like, it's really good for me to hear those things, to, to know that, that I'm not doing a good job, but the Holy Spirit is doing a good job through what I'm teaching you to be able to help you grow in your faith and learn of this battle that is going on. And I even had yesterday, we, were, we had a funeral here for uh, an amazing man of God who is in glory with Jesus now. And I had somebody come up to me and they said, you know what, I've been loving this series. And I just think you need to, you know, put all this material together and put it into a book. When I, and I was like, oh, it almost gave me like a mini panic attack. I was like, oh, uh, just because I know how busy I am right now. And like the time to write a book is, you know, that would be impossible. Um, Maybe one day. At least I have all the notes and, and now it's on video. So, hey, uh, who knows what could happen. But here's, here's what, as I thought about that, here's what my fear is. My fear is that, like an athlete who, let's say a football player. I remember back to when I was a football player in high school. You know, coach would get everybody together right before we would get ready to go out onto the field to actually go play the game. If you remember this, you've played football in high school, you know what I'm talking about. You'd go out on the field, you'd do all your pregame warm-ups and all that other type of stuff. You'd be out there, you know, you'd see the cute cheerleaders, you'd do all those types of things. You'd be under those Friday night lights, you'd see all that type of stuff. The adrenaline's beginning to build, everything's kind of been progressing towards that point all day. And then coach, he gets you in the locker room. And if you've played football before, you know what's getting ready to happen. Everybody sits down, everybody on, everybody's on a knee. And for some reason... Like, Coach is already really, really mad. And he's clipboard in hand. He's just pacing. And veins already popping out of his neck. And he's just jacked. And you know, like, something like, okay, give it to us. Give it to us. We know we're about to go out on the field and enter into this place where we're going to line up against the enemy to try to be victorious. Give it to us, Coach. And he's just screaming and yelling. He, he leans in. Sometimes he gets down to a whisper. And he gets real quiet. And he gets real paused. And then he starts screaming at the top of his lungs, and everybody gets there. And then he brings it in, everybody comes in, and whatever your like, huddle thing was, for us it was, it was family or lions or whatever, and you do that, and you break it down. And then from there, oh my goodness, this giving me like, get me fired up even thinking about it. Like, it, you, look, you get in the locker room, and guys are just punching each other's chest pads, banging helmets together, and it's just screaming. You've, you've watched Friday Night Texas Forever. Like, you've seen these things happen before in these moments. And my fear is that that is what is happening. That, that we come into these moments, and we're like, oh, raw, raw, raw. And like, I, I was talking about this to the first service, and I was like, more often than not, um, some of the, how should I say this? They get really mad when I say they're old. Um, the more seasoned saints of MCC, beautiful, um, a little bit older women of God, who love me, and I think look at me like a grandson, they come up to me and say, you're doing such a great job. Just, you're, I love it, I'm just learning so much. And like, again, I'm a very visual person, so when I um, think things, I see things. And so I, I think of this, you know, grandma with a helmet on, banging into a locker room and, and hitting people with chest pads. And like, yes, fired up, I love this message. And you're seeing it too, and I know you're making all of us laugh. But my fear is, in the same way that it would be tragic, if that team got in the locker room, banged each other's heads together, pounded locker rooms, and were screaming and pounding each other's chest. If they did that and they stayed in the locker room and they never found their way onto the field, it would be a great loss. It would be a shame. And so my fear is that we would leave the intensity, the knowledge, the new understanding and even the confidence that you may have gained, not through my ability to motivate you, but through God's word ability to, to get you to the cusp of taking a step in active obedience, that we would be a church that hopefully is not becoming so Sunday-minded that we gather together and Sunday, 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 and we get fired up about this, and then we go to work, and we are so Sunday-minded that we become no Monday good. When we actually enter into the battlefield, we take what we hear in the proverbial locker room. Listen, this is not the battlefield, friends. You're watching this online. You're in a bed. You're in a sofa. You, you, you're somewhere on a treadmill. Like, this is not the battlefield, friend. You're in the locker room right now. 
But there's going to come a time where you've got to choose. Am I going to get on the field? And my hope is that what we've talked about so far would translate onto the field. And if it's not, I believe it's because we have a misunderstanding of what faith actually is. See, these messages aren't just things to build your faith if they just stay in the room. There are messages to build your faith if they find their way out of the locker room and onto the field. See, this passage we're, we're getting ready to dive into, he's talking about this full armor of God, and he says, take up the shield of faith. Now, there is a shift in his language that happens from here. All the other pieces of the armor, he said to put on, put on, put on, put on the breastplate, put on the belt, put on the shoes, put those things on. Now, he shifts in his language from putting things on to actually, you can see it there in the word, taking things up. And what's happening there is he is helping people understand that there are pieces of this armor of God that you are perpetually to keep on you. Keep truth on you at all times. Keep righteousness on you at all times. Have your feet always fastened with the readiness that comes from the gospel. But understand, when you walk out of the locker room, when you walk out of the barracks and you walk into the battlefield, there are things that you have to take up. That's why he says, take up the shield of faith. In the same way that a baseball player, when he goes into the dugout to get ready to hit, he doesn't walk into the dugout and take all of his clothes off. He walks in the dugout, and he takes up a helmet. He takes up a bat, and he goes, does what that time is supposed to be happening. And so for us, if we're going to understand faith, we've got to understand that in the Bible, faith is belief and action. Okay? It's this Greek word, pistis. And I'm pretty sure that's how it's pronounced because I don't want it to sound like this thing you do when you go to apply for a new job and they have to make sure you're not a drug addict. <laughs> now you're there. Pistis. This is belief and action. That's what the Bible talks about faith being. Now, for many of us, when we think about faith, that's not really what we're operating with. So I want to give you a, a visual object lesson to hopefully piece this together for you in a way that you will never, ever forget, okay? Um, Royce Jr., I, I need you to come up here and help me now. Uh, senior, you could probably do it, but I'll take Junior this time. All right. Move this back here. You stay right here. All right. For most of us, in regards to our faith... We think about it as this thing that faith is what will take me somewhere. Like, I believe in this, so this will get me somewhere, or it will get me to something. I have faith that in Jesus I will get to heaven. I have faith that I will get a, a better job. I have faith that I will uh, give birth to a child. I will have someone that says, yes, you are a reasonable, bearable with person, and I will date you. Uh, faith in many of things. But we have faith in things that they would get us to somewhere. problem is, in regards to most of our faith... If biblical faith is belief and action, most of our faith and the faith of people that you've encountered with who wear the name badge Christian is merely belief. I believe some things about Jesus. I know some things about that. I believe, yes, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, that's how you get to heaven. I believe those things. I believe that going to church is a good thing. I believe um, that you should care about people who are less than. I believe that you should, you know, give away a little bit of money here and there, you know, to, to make people feel better. I believe these things. And we think that's faith. But that type of faith is this kind of bike. Here's your new bike. If faith is belief in action, the majority of faith that I believe most Christians possess is actually a faith that is not belief and action. It is a one-pedal faith that is only belief. And so, okay, Royce, uh, take about four steps back that way. All right, get back there. All right, now put your faith down. No, don't drop it, but just, just keep it, okay? Now, if faith is supposed to be this thing 
that is supposed to propel us towards Jesus' command and call to go into the world and make disciples, teach them, baptize them in my name, teach them to obey my commands. If faith is supposed to be this thing that is supposed to take us from where we are into a lost and dying world and lead them to a place of salvation. If faith is supposed to be this thing that gives us the ability to to break free from oppressive thoughts of anxiety and depression. If faith is supposed to be this thing that leads us to breaking out of a porn addiction. If faith is supposed to be this thing that reunites nights a marriage that's on the rock if faith is supposed to be that type of thing that takes us from wherever it is we are to where we need to be if faith is only belief it looks like this okay i need you to 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 ride to me okay i need you to take your your faith bike okay and i need you to find a way now remember you got to ride your faith bike. There ain't no hopping, no scooter, and no none of that. Like, I need both feet off the ground, and I need your faith bike to find its way to me, okay? How are you feeling about this, first of all? You feeling good? No. <laughs> okay, but, but, but come on, man. Let the belief, but, but believe hard. Feel good. Believe a lot. Hey, you need to believe more. Can you believe better than you are right now? Like, come on. Okay. You tried both sides. Both feet didn't work, did it? Okay, so this, again, I want you to get a picture of how silly this looks. Now, look, listen, you guys are laughing at this, and this seems absolutely silly. Do you want to know who else laughs at this? Satan. When he sees believer after believer after believer say, I believe all these things. I know Jesus is this. And Satan is sitting in, in the thrones of hell just going, listen, I got demon on demon on demon has, who has degree after degree after degree about all those things that you're excited about knowing about Jesus. They know more about him. They believe in his power. They believe in what he can do. They believe how he can set you free. They believe all of those things. And so, ha, 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 you look silly. Trying to take your faith where it needs to go with just belief. God offers something different. A faith that is not merely a one pedal bike you can drop your old faith okay now i need you to stay right there you know how to ride a bike right perfect uh, let's go this way a little bit let's go right here all right you be right here okay um let's say this i'm gonna put it right there okay um you mean you don't need me low seat you're taller than i am all right uh go ahead and hop on don't pedal yet just hop on okay now this There's a reason that I didn't go get my Huffy from the house and bring this up on stage. This is a brand new bike. This still has the tags and stickers and never been ridden, except for first service. And the point I'm trying to make in this is when you receive faith, I'm going to unpack that more in a second. When you re- receive faith, it is something that is now specifically to you. It is tailored to you. It is 100% yours. Now, if our own faith, this faith that we a lot of times think that is really just optimism or just this belief, period, is not faith at all. See, because that wheel thing over there and this thing right over there, there's difference between these two, right? One is a bike. One is a wheel with a pedal. One will not get you anywhere, but one actually can. Now, if this, if faith is a two-pedal system of belief and action, then that's what we have operating right here. See, faith was never meant to be this thing that we decoupled from belief and action. Some churches go one way or the other. Some churches say you have to act this way, you have to do these things, you have to not do these things, and that is what gets you salvation. Other churches say you just believe, and you go do whatever the f- you want. It doesn't matter. You're secure. You're good. Do what you want. That's why many people go, I have no reason to become a Christian. What, what's the point of being a Christian? Now I have to like duck and kind of like hide when I go into the liquor store. I just rather go into the liquor store and get what I need. Like I don't need to be a Christian because you do the same things I do. You, you watch the same things. You talk about the same people behind their back. You do all the same things. Why do I need to give away 10% of my money and, and to be scared of you know, going into certain places to believe in what you believe? No, you believe you, man. I don't need that. Where the change happens 
is when we as people of faith begin to truly operate on the two-pedal, perpetual motion-creating faith that Jesus gave you. Now again, let me make something very clear. If this, this bike that is faith has two pedals, okay? If one is belief and one is action, what gets it going is not action. There is nothing that you did, there's nothing that you can do that begins the process of your salvation. Faith starts with belief. It's belief plus action. It is not action plus belief. It never works that way. Those are the people who say, yeah, I come in and I start doing these things, and then three months later after they decide to get clean and sober and do all these other types of things, and they overcommitted and they you know, went into 17 different Bible studies and everything else, they, they did all the action, but the faith was never really there, and that's why they relapsed 13 days later. We have to start with faith, okay? So let's take this. We'll go up here. Put that faith foot, all right? Right there. Okay, stay, 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 stay. All right. Now he's here. He has been explained what faith actually is, that it is both belief and action. And the stroke that starts faith to move forward is belief, but it accompanies. Once that belief starts and goes down into our souls, it comes around out of our bodies in action. And that's what takes us to the place where lost neighbors are found, where communities like McDonough become places that are incredibly hard for someone to die and go to hell in. This is the place where a community of believers rise up and change what is happening in our local schools. These are the places where marriage gets restored. These are the places where healing and miracles happen. When our faith is action and belief and belief and action. All right, let's see how this operates. It was a little wobbly, though. Now, now, it was wobbly, but did he make it? He made it, all right? So give him some props. Good job, man. All right, thank you. Royce, give it up, guys. Now, listen, the ride was a little wobbly. I don't know when the last, when was the last time you rode a bike. Like a year ago. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's expected. And here's the deal. Jesus is okay with it wobbling because it's his faith. See, this is where the misconception is. And I think when a lot of times when we think about this thing that is the armor of God, we think about it as if it is something that is all ours. Now, again, let's walk back through the armor of God that we've talked about so far. Okay, first and foremost, you have a belt of truth. Where does that truth come from? God. Next, you have a breastplate of righteousness. Where does that righteousness come from? God. Next, you have shoes fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Where do you get ready? You get ready from a gospel of peace. Where is it, what is the gospel of peace and where does it come from? It comes from God. We'll skip faith for a second. Let's jump to what's next. This helmet of salvation. Where in the world does salvation come from? God. Next, you have this thing called the sword of the spirit. Where does that come from? Well, it's the spirit sword, so I'm guessing it comes from God as in the spirit. But for some reason, we take all five of these other pieces of armor and we say, those are all from God. And when it comes to this thing that is faith, we say, well, that's mine. Well, it's my faith. And it's my ability to um, believe hard enough or to think positively enough or to have these things. And the thing that I want you to understand that is, I believe, going to be eye-opening for many of you is that faith is not from you. Faith. Even the faith you have, the saving faith that you are coming into, that you are maybe already into, faith is a gift from God. The faith that you had that led you to salvation in Sunday school, at a youth camp, here at MCC at some point in your adult life, that faith was not something that you just mustered up on your own. Even that faith is a gift from God. And if you're like, what? It's probably because you've missed out on some of these amazing passages in the Bible. One that I want you to see here to prove you're like, okay, you need to give me a Bible verse, sir. Ephesians 2, 8, same book we're in. Ephesians 2, 8. Let me explain this to you. If you've got a Bible, go there. It's going to be on the screens if you don't have one. Ephesians 2, verse 8. Again, Paul is writing this. He's writing this from prison. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved. Comma. 
through faith, which means it is through faith that you have been saved. What is faith? Faith is belief and action. So it is by belief and action, i.e. faith, that you have been saved. Now look, there's a dash right there. And then it says, and this is not from yourselves. My question for you, when he says, and this, what is he referring to? Yes. See, a lot of times we can read that verse and the misconception is when he says, and this is not from yourselves, we think he's talking about grace, the second word in the verse. He's not talking, now grace is not from you either. But here he is making it explicit to the people who's reading this to understand that it is uh, for by grace, again, grace is the good that you are getting from God that you do not deserve. That is what grace is. Grace is, is the good that you are getting that you did not deserve. Mercy is the bad that God's withholding that you do deserve. So he says, the grace that you are getting is something that you are receiving through faith. And then he says, and this, i.e., this faith is not from yourselves. Which means the grace you have got is a gift from God. He says it explicitly there. Verse 9, not by works, not by works, so that somebody could boast. I want you to see how the Bible defines faith. Hebrews 11 Uh, Verse 1 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and is assurance about what we do not see. Which we can read that verse and go, oh, I love that. Faith is is confidence in what I hope for and assurance about what I do not see. But most of us, if we're honest, we read that and we kind of go, yeah, it looked good on a pillow, but like, I don't know what that means. Like, I'm kind of confused there. Like, there's some big words and and there's there's a weird flow to it. Let let me, let's, let's just, again, simplify it together. Confidence in what we hope for. What do you hope for? What are you hoping for this week? What are you hoping for this month? What are you hoping for Christmas looks like for you and your family? What are you hoping you get for Christmas? There in the comments online. Like, I just, I'm curious. I want to know. Maybe we can bless you a little bit. Uh, what, what are you hoping for? Here's what I know about you right now. When I ask you, what are you hoping for? You're not hoping that 2020 just ends on this crescendo climax of absolute chaos. You're not going, you know what I'm hoping for? I'm hoping that like zombies start coming back and it's a walking dead up in here. I'm just hoping that like, I'm, you know, I, like I love our house, but I'd rather live in a tent somewhere and just be living out of a van. Like you're not hoping for those things. We hope for good. And so he's saying faith is confidence that a good God is going to give us good grace. And he says for and assurance about what we do not see. So he's telling them to say Faith is this assurance and this confidence that you are going to see something that you are currently not seeing. All right? We're also tracking. I know we're getting in some deep waters here. All right? We're going snorkeling. All right? Scuba, really. He says, it is an assurance of things not seen. And so my question is, if faith is is this assurance of things that are not seen, then what are those unseen things? What is the unseen thing I should be looking for? Okay? If that's what faith is. If faith is the assurance that I'm going to see something that I'm not seeing right now, what is it that I should be looking for? The answer is grace. That's what we are hoping to see right now, is grace. Grace, again, I've said this before, grace is getting the good that you did not deserve. Now, let's explain grace. Grace... Oftentimes, it's just understood as my past being forgiven and my future being secured. That's God's grace. God's grace forgave me of my sins in my past, and God's grace is preparing a place in heaven for me. And I'm going to go be with him. And that's his grace, that he forgave me of something that I used to do, and he's doing something for me that I didn't deserve. But faith has got to be something that's here and now. And so many times we think about past grace and we think about future grace and we miss out on this present in the moment grace. Now, listen, if there is a God who through the majesty of his grace can forgive you of every sin that you ever committed, not just you, who can forgive, forgive every single human being who has existed on planet earth, if he can forgive every single one of their sins in a moment through his son on the cross, can make them justified by God as if they had never sinned. 
And his son takes on all of their sins, though he was perfect. If there's a God who is capable and has forgiven all of that, and that is past grace, okay? That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is he has also somehow prepared a place of eternal bliss and happiness for you. If he has both done both of those things, why do we sit in our chairs, in our lives, in our cubicles, in our car rider lines, thinking that God can't give you enough grace to get through what you're going through? Like, if he did that, and he did that, why can't he do this? And we have this lack of faith. And what I want you to understand is faith is where you access God's grace. Faith is the access point for all of the grace that God has made available to you. Now, again, we've got to understand what faith is. That's a big phrase. You know, that's on the lower thirds. Faith is the access point for all the grace that God's made available to you. But you've got to understand what faith actually is. It is belief. In action. And so when we put our belief, our faith, and action, what you begin to step into, it is as if you are, are turning the knob that turns the fountain of God's grace on in your life. Romans 5, verse 1 and true. And again, and again, Paul wrote Romans before he wrote this book of Ephesians. He, he expressed it like this, and he can explain it way better than I'm doing right now. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Paul says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Again, faith is what justifies. allows us to be able to stand before God just if I'd never sinned. Justified. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Through him we have gained access. Listen, faith is where we gain access. We have gained access by faith, belief in action, into his grace in which we now stand. Now you tell me, does that verse sound about the past, the future, or the present? The present in which we now stand. Friend, I want you to know, I don't know what's been going on in your life. I don't know how insufficient you felt. I don't know how lonely you felt. But I want you to understand that if you are in Christ right now, in this moment, you are standing and you have access to stand fully by your faith in the grace of God, the grace that saved you, the grace that prepared a place in heaven for you, and the grace that is available to get you through, not just barely scraping by, but get you through whatever it is that you're going through right now. But if we're honest, we hear that and say, okay, cool, I got access to all this. But we still feel like we're living in defeat mode. We still feel like we're living in deficit. I mean, am I the only one who's like, man, can I just get a little more time? God, time. Like, and then like time change. Man, show me a candidate who like will do away with time change and I would seriously consider voting for that person. Like the daylight savings time thing, it's just terrible. It's terrible. Well, can we all agree it's terrible? I want more time. It's, it's all right to say God, I would, I would love to have more resources. I would love to have some more funds, not just so that my family and us, could, we could be all taken care of and more, but God, I'd love, to have, I'd love to have more. I'd love to be able to give away more. I'd love to be able to do these things. God, I'd love to have more self-control. Like I, I, you know, Paul wrote, I, I, why am I continually doing the things that I don't want to do and the things that I want to do, I can't do. We still feel like we're living at a place of deficit and defeat and we don't have what we need. And that, friends, is one of Satan's best strategies to surround us with a cacophony of our world that says your life is incomplete unless you have this, unless you drive this, unless your kid does this, unless you retire here, unless you go on vacation there, unless your husband says this, unless this happens, your life is incomplete, unless something does this. Here's the deal, though. If you have grace, you have all that you need. You're not waiting on a car. You're not waiting on a house. You're not waiting on a kid to get in school. You're not waiting on somebody to notice you. You're not waiting on even a child to be born out of you. If you have God's grace, you have all that you need. And we access that grace through faithful obedience to God as belief in action. See, the enemy's lie says, you don't have what you need. Here's what God's truth says. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, by his divine power, God has given us, I love this word, God has given us everything we need, which, amen, woo! Everything I need. And you just want to dance. Everything I need. I got everything. I got everything I need. Yes, yes, Lord. But yeah, we're excited about that. He's given us everything I need. And we get fired up about everything we need. Man, that's awesome. 
You got everything you need. Cool. Then there's the rest of the verse, though. He's given us everything we need for a godly life. Okay, oh, not the life I want. Okay, godly life. All right, cool. Okay, continue on. We have received all of this. These are the important words. By coming to know him. So how do you get everything that you need? By coming to know him. Not, not again, not know about him. Not know facts. Not know how, not even to know how to get to him, but to know him. In Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats, when he told the ones who had said, hey, we prophesied in your name, we, we, we gave away this amount of money, we performed miracles and signs and all those other types of things, why are you sending us away? He said, away from me, I don't know you. And so when we look at this, he says, we have gained access to everything we need and this is where we now stand. Oh, sorry. He, he says, when we come to know him, he's called us to himself by means of marvelous glory and excellence. Okay. So coming to know him, that means we are in a relationship. And I asked this question at the first service. I said, what is the foundation? If we receive everything we need through coming to know him, which is a relationship, what is the foundation of every good relationship? What is the baseline, essential, foundation, bedrock of a good relationship? I'm curious to know what you guys would say. What do you think, what do you think is the foundation of a relationship? And, and, and I'm, I'm, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you, you're probably wrong unless you guess the one that actually is it. What do you think it is? Just think about it in your head. I don't want to call anybody out. First service said some few things. They said communication. I agree. Communication is important. They said, um, what was another one? Time. Communication and time. Here's the deal, though. You can communicate to a person all you want to. You can tell them everything that's going on. But if you lie to them, it doesn't matter how much you're communicating. They're still thinking what you're communicating is a lie. It doesn't matter how much time you spend with your kids. If you tell them lies, they're not going to trust you. You can spend all the time you want to. You can just sit there and lie, 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 lie. The foundation of a good relationship is trust. The foundation of a good relationship is trust. That's why for us in our homes, man, you can do a whole lot of things in a shoemaker household and just get a whooping. But if you lie... To mom or dad, the punishment is something different because every relationship is built on trust. It's built on knowing that the person across from you is telling you the truth. And so in regards to our faith, if we gain access to everything we need, all right, track with me, if we gain access to everything we need, or if we gain access to all the graces made available to you right now, if you gain that by knowing Christ, and if you know Christ by having trust in who he is, then that means that faith is acting like God is telling the truth. That's what faith is. It's living lives where we are literally acting like God is actually telling the truth. The what he says about finances is true. The what he says about our mortal bodies is actually true. The what he says about sex is actually true. What he says about our identity is actually true. What he says about what our skin looks like is actually true. What he says about how we should live our lives in regards to um, how much is put into this little life right here based off of what actually eternity is. If we live our lives like what he says is actually true, then we are saying, God, I actually do have faith in you. Because the opposite side is true. If we live like what he's not saying is true, then we are saying, God, you're a liar and you're untrustworthy. And nothing breaks a loving father's heart to have his character misidentified by his kids. You felt that. Imagine how it feels from God. I love this quote from my favorite pastors, Tony Evans. He says this, Faith is acting like it is so, even when it's not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. That's so good. If I had a helmet on in that locker room, I would have smashed it into a locker. Faith is acting like it is so, even when it's not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. To say it in a different way, faith is not what you say you believe. Faith is what you do in response to what you believe. So I'll walk you through faith. I want you to see this shield now. Paul couples them together. And how is faith a shield? What does that mean? Let's get practical here for the last little bit of time we have. In Ephesians 6, 16, let's look at what he says. He says, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith. Again, take up. This is something we pick up as we enter into battle, which you can extinguish, underline extinguish, all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So a Roman soldier's shield 
would have been two feet wide and four feet tall. It's not some Captain America vibranium shield. It's this big, uh, almost the size of a door. Literally, the Greek word that was translated for shield was also one of the words that's close in correlation to the same word they used for door. It was that big so that it could honestly be something that they could totally get all the way behind. And as Roman soldiers were getting ready to go off to war, their wives would say something like this to them. Come back with your shield, not on your shield. Because that was another one of its uses, to be able to carry the dead out of the battlefield. These shields were made out of wood. Thick wood that was wrapped in three to six layers of leather. One of the things that a soldier had to do on a recurring basis habitually was to oil down this leather so it didn't get cracked. He had to, even when he would go out into form a battle, he would take this already really heavy shield and dip it in water. And he dipped it in water. And I, I believe, again, Paul's making a really important point here today. He would do that so that it could extinguish the flaming arrows. And the question I have for you is, is what arrows is the enemy shooting at you? If you understood how their battle worked then, the arrows weren't shot to be kill shots. The arrows were shot at them to be things that would actually cause distraction and disconnection. See, the, the Roman soldiers, they operated co closely and connectedly. And so they would shoot these arrows in so that a fire would break out on somebody's shield or, or somebody, something would catch on fire so that they had to spend effort putting out the fire. And that's the way our enemy works too. I want you to see some of his absolute favorite arrows to shoot at us. Some of his arrows I think he is shooting and he is, he is doing a great job of hitting people with. Some of his go-to arrows for us are doubt, disgust, depression, or, or despondency, and discontentment. These are the things that he loves to shoot at me and you. And some of you have been being hit even as we speak. But these are some of his favorite ones. He's got a lot of them. But when he does this, he's doing this to disconnect us from each other and to disconnect us from God. And so he shoots in doubt and gets us to doubt what other people are really like. Gets us to, instead of believing the best about people, we believe the worst about people. Instead of going to ask a question to try to understand who they really are, we just, just, we just make up our mind because we read an article about people like them. In regards to God, he, he wants us to doubt really who God is. God, God, doubt God's identity. And again, doubt leads to mistrust. Disgust. He wants us not to just not like people, but he wants us to hate people. He wants us to be disgusted by who they are, what they stand for, and not even imagine how anybody could believe like that, think like that, or do those things like that. And he also wants us to be disgusted with God on the horizontal plane or the vertical plane. Say, God, how could you do this? How could you allow this to happen? How could you allow this? I thought you loved us. I thought you loved me. And then there's despondency. Despondency is a little bit different than depression. It's kind of summed up in there. But despondency is this losing of all hope. And he likes to shoot that arrow into our lives to get us to lose all hope that society could ever be any different. That that child who is a prodigal could ever come back. To lose all hope that we could uh, have a child of our own. To lose all hope that, man, I'm 35. There's just no hope that I could ever get married again. He wants us to lose all hope. He wants us despondent and giving up. And not just despondent and giving up on other people, but despondent and giving up hope in God. And saying, God, I am too far gone. And you are obviously too far gone to reach down and change any of this. And then there's discontentment. He shoots arrows into our lives in the form of somebody down the road from you driving a brand new car. He shoots arrows into your life of that person who you know is actually one of the biggest slackers at your job. Who has zero integrity. Getting the promotion that you deserved. And he not only makes you discontent with what is happening in your life, but he also makes you discontent with that person. And he drives a wedge between them. And from there, it trickles into being discontent with God. God, why did you let that happen? God, why does a good guy like me never get ahead? These are the arrows he shoots into our lives. And so he shoots these arrows into our lives. And again, these fiery arrows are shot into our lives not to be kill shots. These aren't aimed to kill you. These are aimed to distract you and get you disconnected both from God and from other people. And so he shoots them in, and we spend so much time trying to put out all these little fires in our lives, putting out all these little fires. And my hope is that we would be the people who are less concerned with putting out all these little fires, and we would raise up our shields and extinguish those, understanding that our, our shield is now our faith. That is a gift from God. I'm going to put my faith in you, God, and as I walk in faith with you, my shield is going up. I am protected, and now I'm less concerned about the enemy's fiery arrows, and I'm more concerned about this Holy Spirit fire that you have put inside of me. That's why he said what he said to Timothy in, in um, 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. He said, for this reason, then again, this reason is like 
bad things are going to happen. Enemies are going to come after you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. So what is that gift of God he's talking about there? Gift of God, saving faith that allows you to access every last drop of God's grace. One of the other things, that, one of my absolute favorite things about these shields is the, the Romans had this special formation called testudo. Can you guys say that with me? Testudo. 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 Yeah, it's a little bit safer than uh, pistis. Testudo. So when they would get in battle and they would get kind of close to, to an enemy, one of, the, one of the people who was the captains, you know, general in, in the army, he would yell out, testudo. And what they knew there, that, that was their word for turtle. And you're like, turtles? Military? Army? What's going on here? What they would do, and you've probably seen this in some movies. If you've seen, you know, Troy or 300, you've seen this formation happen. What they would do is they would take their shields, and guys in the front would line up this way, and then guys in the middle, they would hold their shields up. And what they would do with their shields is they would create this barrier around them to where they could continually and perpetually move forward because all around they had 360 degrees of protection for whatever fiery dart the enemy wanted to throw their way. The only thing that they could maybe do is hit some shins. And again, if you ever know how arrows work, that's not really happening. It's going to skip off the ground. It's not going to work. An arrow worked by shooting up, and it would come up and come down. But when they were in Testudo, nothing was getting through. And there is no more perfect illustration of what it means to walk in Christian community than the Testudo formation. Thursday was the day that my dad died this past Thursday. And I had a living, breathing example of testudo formation around me all Thursday. Thursday was a day that I didn't feel like I had any armor on. Shield was down. I'd taken it all off. It's a hard day, man. You lose somebody like that. But text after text after call after call, comments even on things like Facebook. I watched me as I felt low and broken. I watched testudo, I watched turtle formation come around me. Through you people, through my community group, through people who I've served together in ministry way before coming here. I watched this formula on me. When I felt at my most woundedness, I watched the armor of God and the body of Christ, turtle formation all around me. And my my, my thing to you guys is, listen, when you get hit, when, not if, when you get hit, do you have people in your life who will go turtle formation around you? If you're not in a community group, you're going to get hit and nobody's going to be there. And you can complain that, hey, we didn't, like, listen, our job, my job, is to make sure you have a turtle formation. But listen, if you run out from under that or you refuse to get inside of that, I can't help you. That's why we put such an emphasis, not on coming and meeting like this, but being together in a place of community. And for those of you who are watching online, we want to do everything we can to help connect you there as well. Like, just because you can't be in physical formation. Again, I felt testudo this week, not because anybody was walking into my office and laying a hand on me and praying for me. It was technology communicating and saying, I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. I know today isn't an easy day, but I'm here for you. And I felt shield after shield after shield go up and defend any more of the flaming darts that the enemy wanted to send my way while I was in a place of grief. So listen, you can't do this thing alone. If you want to get connected into a, a group, you want to have Testudo around you, and man, I, I can't wait to, I, I'm so fired up to go to our community group tonight with this understanding of like this, like, man, for those of you who like, I don't know how easy it is for you to like choose to not go to group, but the next time you choose not to go to group, just choose, just know you are choosing to get out of formation. I, I'm going to walk on my own. I'm going to keep my shield over my head. I'm just going to walk around like this. When you put your shield up, what's exposed? Everything else here. See, that's the thing about the shield. The shield was a shield that shielded everything else that was supposed to shield you. You're susceptible, you're weak, and you will get picked off. I want to do everything I can to get you in a place where you have people that can come around you. 
you're online, there's a community group link there. We'd love to be able to help you find a way, whether it's an online group or an in-person group. Don't let today go by with yourself being isolated, alone, and susceptible to how the enemy will shoot flaming darts into your life. We're getting ready to take communion together. And this is a place where as we tear off these uh, plastic pieces of these disposable communion cups, like I said before, these are our sounds of war. This is the sound of battle being made in the same way if you were watching a movie, you'd hear swords being put in sheaths or um, uh, weaponry being put together or um, clips being loaded in or rounds, magazines being clipped together and Velcro snapping on. This is us going to battle right here. This is us standing boldly and bravely in the confidence that Jesus has given us. So today I pray that as you take this, you know that God is for you, that God is with you. And this gift that is faith that he has given you, he is asking you to walk in humble obedience, to live out what he has put in as a gift. And to take whatever step that is, whether it's to get in a group, whether it's to get connected, whether it's to text somebody and say, hey man, I need you to start asking me how I'm doing, like how am I really, really doing? To you men of God in the room, if you don't have somebody who's asking you that on a regular basis, worried about you it's only a matter of time let's move towards what Jesus is leading us towards don't delay don't wait don't put it off go to him answer him don't let your faith just stay belief give it some action today I love you church let's pray and meet with Jesus Father we thank you it is by your grace and your grace alone that we can be saved. I pray that you would move your people towards steps of faith today. Away from just merely being a, a person who knows some things about you. But move them to be people who know you. Father, show them and show me as I get ready to go meet with you, Jesus. Show me where I have not been trusting you the way I should. Lead us, Jesus. Lead us. Heal us. In your name.